when you think about it, we all have this built-in sense of the way things should be. I think it's in uh, Mere Christianity that C.S. Lewis talks about everybody has a sense of what's fair. And even if there's not specific rules of what's fair written out, they have the sense of what's fair. And, and, and I think we have that same sense when it comes to being at peace. Now, I've never been in an earthquake. Uh, well, I've been in some minor tremors, but uh, people that have been in earthquakes, as Sarah just prayed about the earthquake in Morocco, they say it is absolutely frightening because you expect, I mean, the Latin word for what we're standing on is terra firma, firm land, and, 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 and so you expect it to be firm and to not shake. We have this natural, normal desire to believe that, that we, sh- we have a right to be safe, a right to make our choices, a right to have our basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter meet, uh, met, and when all of that gets shaken, then we don't experience peace, but when all of that is in order, we believe we're experiencing peace. Peace, based on circumstances, can be shaken in a moment, and yet we desire peace. Do you remember the t-shirts that were going around, the memes that were on social media that were going around a little while ago that started out with, keep calm, and then there would be a, a, a something under that like, you know, keep calm and. And there were, there were a lot of conclusions. Keep calm and be happy. I saw one with the little minions, and it was keep calm and eat bananas. Or keep calm and stay cool. Or keep calm and be proactive. Keep calm and eat a cookie. I was thinking about those as I was thinking about peace, and I thought, where did that come from? Well, I'm kind of curious. Where, who started that? And so I did a little research, and I discovered that it goes all the way back to 1939. In 1939, our world was in turmoil. Uh, the, the, German, the Nazis had already invaded different places in Europe, and Great Britain was anticipating that they would be online for uh, an invasion or an attack. And so the Ministry of Defense got their propaganda office together and said, we need to come up with ways to help people know that they can, we can get through this. And so they came up with several slogans. The original phrase that we're talking about said, keep calm and carry on. And the idea would be that they would print messages like this, and there were a couple of others. Uh, one of them was, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. And another one was, freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. So with those three different slogans, they printed up two million, over two million posters And the design was all of those posters would be plastered wherever you could imagine in in the British Isles. And so it would help people to just say, okay, we got this. But the flyers were printed and they were prepared. But they were never distributed. Because in 1940 there was a paper shortage. So they took all of those flyers and they ran them through and, you know, chopped them up and everything, and reused them to help with the paper shortage. And if it wasn't for somebody doing some research back in 2000, 
we would have never had the whole keep calm and, but somebody discovered a surviving post poster and the whole craze started. We think about the term peace. It, we're drawn to that idea of being calm. Uh, sometimes we'll say to so, that about someone who seems calm that they're so zen. You know, and in fact, if you have YouTube TV and you're watching a show and they go to commercial, like I was watching my Fighting Irish yesterday, and they go to commercial and they'll show a couple of commercials and then all of a sudden there's this picture. Uh, one of them lately has been a, a honeybee, a real close-up of a honeybee on a piece of, on a flower. Or there'll be just this scene with a, a, uh, a little brook or just a, you know, a beautiful pastoral scene. And under, underneath it says, Enjoy the Zen. Our program will be right back. Uh, we, that's what we think of, peace. And I sat outside last night with my fire going and my fire pit, just sitting in my driveway, just relaxing, and, and it was peaceful. And yet, when the Apostle Paul penned the words that we're going to look at today, I think he meant a little bit more than eating cookies or enjoying a calm moment. Today, would you join me in reading again, as we're doing each week, Galatians 5, to 23. But this morning, we're going to read it from a translation that I used to use when I would teach children called the easy-to-read version. Would you join with me and, and read these verses together? But the fruit that the Spirit produces in a person's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these kinds of things. Peace. Peace has to be more than just no more conflict. Because as long as there are people who want power, there will be conflict. So what is peace? What is peace as we have it here in Galatians 5.22? How can it be part of our lives? Today I want to look at the concept of peace. We're going to look at it in the Bible. We're going to discover four principles and more fully understand what I'm calling true peace. And so let me give you this morning's sermon in a sentence. When I have peace with God, I will have the peace of God and discover an inner strength regardless of my circumstances. When I have peace with God, I will have the peace of God and then discover an inner strength regardless of my circumstances. Mary Kay uh, Luella just arrived. I want you to think about that in a minute, for a minute. We have the peace with God. We'll talk about that. We're going to find, in fact, it's striking me as I keep going through these different elements of the fruit of the Spirit, really they're all relationship-based, and relationship-based on our relationship with God, the peace with God. And, and, and the peace with God gives us the peace that comes from God, it's sourced in God, and we'll find there's a, a strength, a strength that we can't fully put, we can't fully describe. So the first thing I want you to hang on to today is this. Peace is more than circumstantial. 
Peace is more than circumstantial. It's more than my circumstances. Peace was an interesting concept for the people that received the letter that Paul wrote, the people in the region of Galatia. Uh, It was an interesting concept because they were aware of another kind of peace. The Latin word is Pax Romana, peace of Rome. And, And throughout the first and second centuries, Uh, The peace of Rome was really something. And and the idea of the peace of Rome was that Roman culture and Roman uh, principles would be exported throughout the known world. And, and, and if they, they, the idea was if you understand Roman culture and principles and we're all looking, we're all on the same page, there's going to be peace. And part of the way that Rome distributed that is they built a great highway system and the Roman highways made things easier to travel. And yet, as they thought that maybe it was being fulfilled, there was this wrinkle in the fabric of the Pax Romana. It was called Christianity. Because Christianity didn't fit in with the Roman culture. Christianity didn't fit in with the cult of emperor worship. And interestingly enough, Roman peace, the Pax Romana, ended up being kept at the tip of a Roman sword. It was peace as long as you complied. The peace in Galatians 5.22 and elsewhere in the New Testament, is deeper than circumstances. Circumstantial peace is when everything is going according to my plans and my desires. Circumstantial peace is when everybody in my life is doing what I expect them to do and behaving exactly how I want them to behave. And that is a fleeting peace and a fleeting reality. So how do we understand this word peace? little over 300 years before the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Galatian church, there was a gathering of scholars in the city of Alexandria on the north coast of Africa. And they were brought together by King Ptolemy II for one purpose. He wanted them to get together and to take the Hebrew scriptures and to translate them into the common language of the day, which was Greek. And so they got together and they studied the Hebrew Scriptures and they put together this translation. And the document was called the Septuagint, which is a word describing 70. There were 70 scholars, they believe. Sometimes you'll see it referenced with the capital Roman numerals LXX for 70. This document became a significant tool and is to this day a significant tool in Bible study. Because if we want to see how, uh, uh, how the Hebrew Scriptures uh, used a word, we can see how it was translated. And our word for peace that we're going to be talking about today in the Hebrew is the word shalom, a word that you may have heard of. And the word shalom means more than just be calm. The word shalom means more than just I'm sitting out on my Adirondack chair looking at my fire and just relaxing. Now the word shalom is a word that has to do with the wholeness 
of one's total being. It's a word that has to do with having good health and having stability in life. It's a word that has to do with being connected to God and to community. It's not a political peace. It's not a peace that's the absence of conflict. It's the peace of a person in the wholeness of who they are. A peace that is greater than one's circumstances because peace is more than just circumstantial. So how do we get this peace? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit is peace. How do I get that peace? Well, the first response, and we've already touched on it, it's very simple, it's very obvious, and yet it can't be overstated. Real peace has its source in God. Real peace has its source in God. It's been interesting how often when I've been studying this, I've gone back to those last few words of Jesus with his disciples. And in John 14, 27, Jesus reminded his disciples on that last night, that, last, that night that he was going to be betrayed and he was going to be uh, beaten and crucified. On that night, he said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Two things stand out in that statement as we're understanding this concept of peace. And and first is very simple. Peace is sourced in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, my peace I give you. It is a peace that comes from being connected with Jesus. You see, when you and I are connected to Jesus, when our lives are connected to Jesus, when we enter into that faith relationship with Christ, believing he died on the cross for our sins, then we're reminded, too, that we serve a God who's in control. We're in connection with the God who's in control. And that's when we can truly keep calm and be at peace. We trust him for the unknown. But there's a second thing that stands out. Jesus says, my peace I give you, and it's not as the world gives. It's a different peace. Jesus came for a specific purpose. He came, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but so that the world might believe, to save the world. He came to restore humanity to right relationship with God. And, and, his, and so Romans remind us that when we've been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, we read it just a minute ago, we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing in our world offers that kind of a peace that we have with God. Nothing in our world can equate to the peace we have with God. Real peace has its source in God, and we experience it when we enter that faith relationship with Jesus. Now, I get it. I get it. I have sat in my office talking to people. I've talked to people out around in the community, and I've run into people that say, Pastor Scott, I do believe that Jesus is my Savior. I do believe that he died on the cross for my sins. But it seems like everything in my life is spinning out of control. Where's the peace? I think Jesus was fully aware of that. I think Jesus was fully aware of what was coming in his own life on that night. 
He was fully aware of what was going to, the chaos that would ensue, not only in his life, but in the lives of his followers. And so he spoke into that. In John 16, he points them again to the peace, and he points you and me to the peace we have in him. In John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. What are the things that he told them? Well, he told them that he's going away. But he told them that I'm going away, but if I go, I'll come back. He's told them that he was going to be taken to Jerusalem and the the leaders were going to crucify him, but he reminded them he would raise again on the third day. He told them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will indwell you. He had told them all of these things. He had given them a broad overview. He had told them that when the Spirit of Holy Spirit indwells them, he will teach them and guide them and lead them. And that is true for us today. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. But he said, in this world you have trouble. That world, that word that's translated trouble literally means stress or pressure or hardship. Someone has once observed, we are either in the middle of a stressful time, entering into a stressful time, or emerging out of a stressful time. It seems that stress is kind of constant in our lives. And Jesus said, yes, in this world you're going to have stress, you're going to have trouble, but remember something. And this is what can give you that deep inner shalom, wholeness, wellness, being, peace. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. I can trust that God is in charge, even though I don't know what's going to happen next. I can trust that God is in charge. I, I can have an eternal perspective. See, the, the, the disappointments I face in life are temporary. There's a broader picture. There's eternal perspective. I believe that one day Jesus will set everything right. We can't will things to change. We can't really manipulate things to change. We can only believe that God is the only true source of peace. And in his grace, God does something. He is the source of peace. It's He is the one who gives us peace. But he also gives us one another to reinforce this truth. You see, the second thing I want you to, the third thing I want you to remember is real peace is reinforced in the faith community. There was another group of people that were struggling with human rules. They were struggling with human regulations. They lived in an area called Colossae. Paul wanted the followers of Jesus in that city to know that the most important thing was to focus on Jesus and not on human rules and human regulations that were really, in a sense, enslaving them and turning their focus away from God. And so in a brief letter to this group of people, it's only four chapters in our Bibles, it's called the book of Colossians, or the letter to the Colossians. We have some words that sound very similar to what we've read in Galatians 5, 22, and 23. 
Here's what I want you to do. We'll do this exercise again. If you're in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, I want you to look at it as I read from Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and see if you can notice some parallels. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ, Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father through him. Wow. Do you see the parallel? You see the similarities? I want to zero in, uh, beginning in uh, verse 15, though, for our purposes here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word of is let the peace from Christ, let the peace that has its source in Christ rule in your hearts. Now, so we, we have the peace of Christ and we have a location. It's to rule in our hearts, in the innermost part of who we are. In the depths of who we are, the peace of Christ is to rule, it's to reign, it's to control. It's the innermost part of who we are. We're called and summoned to peace as members of one body. And that's the community aspect of peace. The message of Christ is to indwell each of us. The teaching of Christ is to be part of our lives individually and collectively. And we are to help one another reinforce that peace how as we teach one another as we correct one another as we point one another to God and remind each other that everything we do we do in the name that's in the authority of Jesus Christ and that should cause us to well up in thankfulness very simply put we need each other we need to take time to be together. We need to be encouragers of one another. In the faith community, when my sense of peace, when my shalom, when my well-being is lacking, you may be the one who can come alongside and help me and build me up. You may be the one who can come alongside and, as it were, put your arm around my shoulder and kind of hold me up and say, come on, Scott, I'm going to walk with you. That's what the faith community is to be about. Many years ago, I was wrapping up a bathroom remodel. And I had gotten to the last thing I needed to do, and it was to reseat the toilet. Um, 
if you've never, I've done it before. I knew the process. I knew that, you know, you have to get the wax ring just right around the, the, the shaft and you have to lower it down. The flange bolts have to come up at just the right point. You have to get it down even. A, a toilet, by the way, you don't, might not know this, uh, it weighs about 60 pounds without the tank on it. And it's porcelain. Uh, maybe you don't know this about porcelain, but it cracks. And if you crack it, you're buying a new one. There's no way to fix it. And, uh, you know, and I'd done it before. And so I, I'm, I was, somehow I just hit this wall. I just, it, for whatever reason, I just wasn't, I wasn't getting it. And, and with those wax rings, you don't have, now they've made new things now, but back then, you only have maybe one, maybe if you're lucky, two chances, and then you're buying a new wax ring. And I was just like, ah, I can't get this. And about that moment when I was just, just had hit a wall, there comes a knock at our door. It was somebody from the church that used to be part of our ministry here. And Charlene answers the door. He goes, hey, I just thought I'd stop by on my way home from work, see how things are going. Charlene says, come on in. <laughs> I think he could use your help. And within 10 minutes, we had the toilet reseated, and it was in, and it was done. I had hit my wall, my strength, my sense of peace, my energy had gone, and he stepped in, and he helped me, and we got it done. And I'm going to tell you, that little moment made a, such an impact in our lives. Every now and then, my wife will remind you, remember that time? Remember how they came along and helped us? I know it's a simple story, but here's the point. We need the faith community. The peace of Christ is to rule in my heart, and when it rules in my heart, and I come alongside you, and I draw on your connection to the Father, it helps me. It points me in the right direction. The peace in Christ rules in your heart, and you come alongside me, and, and, and you bolster me up. Together in the faith community, re, we reinforce the peace of God in our lives. And sometimes it's hard to explain this. Sometimes it comes across as a bit of mystery. How do I experience the peace of God that comes from having peace with God? Sometimes I don't always have the words to explain this peace, but I know it's there. And, and when in that moment you're in good company because real peace, the real peace of God when experienced is hard to explain. Jesus said, in this world, we're going to have trouble. Paul wrote to another church. They were in the city of Philippi. They were not a wealthy church. But you know what? In their poverty, and we find this out in 2 Corinthians, in their poverty, they scraped enough money together, and they sent Paul a gift. They did it twice. And so Paul writes to them, we call it the, the book of Philippians, and the whole purpose of the book of Philippians is initially to be a thank you note. Now, Paul wrote really, 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 really long thank you notes. I love the thank you notes I get when we've dropped by someone, some kid that's graduated from high school, and we give them a little gift, and we get this nice card in the mail, and you open it up, it says, thanks. <laughs> but Paul couldn't do that. He couldn't just send thanks. He's said them a lot more. You see, they, they were struggling. They were struggling with the reality that Paul was in house arrest in Rome. 
And, and so, and he knew that they were concerned because when a guy by the name of Epaphroditus brought the offering to him, he told him how they were concerned. So Paul said, I don't want you to be concerned. God is at work. God is working in the lives of people. I want you to rejoice. And then he writes this as he's beginning the thank you part. Uh, he writes these very familiar words in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4 through verse 7. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think the first thing we need to remember as we develop and work toward peace is we have to always remember the Lord is near. We can't forget that. Johnny and Billy were about nine years old. Johnny and Billy, well, they were nine-year-old boys. They were active. They were inquisitive. And yes, sometimes they got into trouble. And uh, mom and dad were just kind of at their wits' ends with Johnny and Billy. The school teachers were at their wits' end. They just didn't know how to get these guys to settle down and to, to focus. And, and finally they thought, well, if they could go talk to the pastor, maybe he could help them understand that everything they did was in the presence of God and that God saw them. So they were sitting outside, you can imagine, nervously outside the pastor's office and the pastor decided he would take them one at a time and he brought Johnny in first. And he had Johnny sit down and he sat behind the, the resolute desk uh, back in the days when pastors had really big desks. And he looked at little Johnny and he said, Johnny, where is God? And Johnny just sits back in his chair. He, he doesn't know what to say. And the pastor leans in again. Johnny, where is God? And now Johnny's starting to shake a little bit. And Johnny, he's, he's speechless. And finally the pastor stands up and he leans on the desk and he looks right into this little guy's eyes and he goes, Johnny, where is God? Johnny jumps out, he runs out of the office, he grabs his brother and goes, come on, Billy, they've lost God and they're blaming us. <laughs> Where is God? He's near. He's here. He's not lost. God is with you. God is with us. Paul addresses the pressure, their anxiety. They were struggling with their anxiety. They were worried. They were worried about Paul. There were issues going on in the church. A few verses earlier, he talks about two individuals. We believe they were somehow in leadership in the church. Two women, Yodi and Syntyche. They weren't getting along. The stuff was struggling. And Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. That word translated anxious, it means just that. It means to worry. I could give you all kinds of cliches about anxious and worry and all of that. But here's a fact. While we're commanded not to worry, it sometimes seems that worry is part of the human condition. We struggle 
because there are things we can't foresee. So how do I manage? And, and so we struggle with that. We struggle to, to manage and control what we don't know what's happening. And we, I do this. I have these little scenarios that happen in my head, you know, of how this and this and this is going to go. And you know what? I have yet to have a scenario happen the way I saw it in my head. But it happens. So what do we do? Paul says, here's the solution. Literally tell God exactly how you're feeling. Literally name it. Tell him what you're worried about. Tell him what you're you're feeling. Just tell him. It's okay. He can handle it. Tell him your worries. Tell him your fears. I'm telling you, name them. Call them out. Be specific. It's okay to be repetitive. It's a strength move. It's, it's, it's just tell God. He already knows. But there's something about naming it. There's something about calling it out. There's something about admitting it. And God says he's going to give you a promise. And here's the promise. It's not a promise that God's going to solve everything exactly the way you want it solved in the time you want it solved. It's a promise of peace. Verse 7. So you, you tell everything. Present your request to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, the peace sourced in God, will guard your hearts and your mind. And Paul says, I can't explain it. It's above all understanding. But God's going to guard your heart. That's the seat of your emotions. He'll guard them. God's going to guard your mind. That's your thinking. That's where we start kind of thinking up all of our little scenarios. That's the flip side of anxiety. The flip side of anxiety is not just, oh, I've got this handled. Be calm and eat cookies. The flip side of anxiety is sourced in Jesus. It's what gives us that deep contentment, that deep strength to move through a situation even when it's not resolved. I was in my second year, second semester of my second year at Moody Bible Institute on the 25th of April. 1980, woke up to the news that the United States had attempted a rescue mission of 53 hostages in Iran, and it had gone badly, and it failed, and they crashed helicopters in the desert. I remember that day because on that day, I walked into a class, I think it was a class on marketing and public relations because the the professor for the class was the director of public relations for the school. And uh, he walk, we walked into class and he started the class this way. Get the irony of this statement for a PR director. I hope you guys are ready to get drafted because it looks like we're going to war with Iran. That was how he opened the class. I don't remember anything about the class the rest of that day. I don't even know what assignment we had. I just know mentally and emotionally I went into a tailspin. And as soon as I could get out of class, I just hightailed it back to my room. And fortunately, because it's the middle of the class day, the dorm was empty. And I went into my, my dorm room, I locked the door, 
And I am just, I am freaked out. And I remember kneeling by my bed, and that's not normally my practice, but I felt like, you know what, this is probably the right thing to do here. And I just, I named it. I told God how scared I was. I told him how afraid I was that I might get drafted. I was pretty serious with Charlene by this time, you know. So, you know, I, I just, I told him everything. It was, it, if I had a journal and you read it now, you'd think it was kind of silly. But I just poured it out to God. I asked him for help. And you know what? There was no flash of lightning. There was no aha moment. I didn't hear angels above my head singing. And it wasn't even very long. There was no still small voice. I just waited. And after just a few minutes, I kind of got up and went to my next class. I didn't fully know what had happened. But it's like, okay, we'll just take, we'll just, we'll just live today. We got today, let's live today. Um, somehow it seemed okay. Somehow, I can't explain it, it seemed good. And you know what? It's taken me a long time. I've shared this just a few times with people. It was one of those moments that you just, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to tell people how kind of silly you think you were. It wasn't until I preached through the book of Philippians the first time that I understood what had happened. I had poured out my heart to God, and I had experienced the peace of God, which is unexplainable. Paul says it transcends all understanding. I can't explain it, but I realized it. And I got, I, I'm going to tell you, it may not be as quick for you. It may, may be quicker for you. But I'm going to tell you, that that's the promise. When I pour my anxieties and my heart out to God, He says, I will take care of you. You still may have the problem to face. I will take care of you. You see, when I have peace with God, I will have the peace of God, and that's when I discover an inner strength regardless of my circumstances. Nothing in life happens the way we envision. There are too many moving parts, too many unknowns for everything to happen just exactly the way we drew it up. Our children tend to misbehave at just the wrong moment. Our water heater goes out when we have a house full of company. The police officer decides that today when I'm running late is the day that he needs to get his quota and, uh, and is issuing tickets. The transmission goes out on the day just before we're to leave on an epic vacation. The diagnosis leaves us speechless. The company decides to reorganize. Life is full of stress and trouble and anxiety. But there's an inner strength that you and I can have. And it's part of that which the Holy Spirit produces in our lives because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. It is real. Real peace. Shalom. The fullness of the well-being that is the result of the presence of God in our lives. It's more than circumstantial. 
Real peace has its source in God, reinforced by you and me in the faith community, and experienced when it's experienced, we have a tough time explaining. May you and I experience God's peace, peace with God, the peace of God, and the strength that comes from it. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for these reminders. I just ask, Lord, that uh, today would be a day that we experience your peace in new and fresh ways. And may we be comforted by the fact that we're not always going to be able to explain it. And Lord, I pray too that as we think about your peace that we would, well, Jesus said we're to be peacemakers, that we would be people who actually engage with one another and help point them to the peace of God that comes when we have peace with God. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.